Blog Talk Radio. Jets fans, Glenn Naughton here with Jet Nation Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in this evening. We have quite a bit to cover. Uh, rookie minicamp is out of the way. We're going to talk a little bit about Sam Darnold. There seem to be some conflicting views, conflicting thoughts on how to go about handling him for his rookie season. He's not even been a Jet for a couple weeks, and, and already the, the theories on, on how they the Jets can and will either get this right, get it wrong, or uh, the opinions are aplenty. We'll cover some of the undrafted guys, uh, you know, and, and, and who who might surprise and make this roster. That's a, it's always a fun topic. Even, you know, some things, you know, you, you wait till camp to, to get into them, to dive into them, but I think it's always fun, even early on. I mean, let's face it, none of us know who's going to make the roster among the the undrafted rookies, the Jets signed six or seven of them. We'll go over each of them in, in as much depth as we can. Um, there are one or two names on here, let's face it, of guys that played at very small programs, uh, not a lot of footage on them, not a lot of scouting reports other than finding a couple 40 times or something like that. There's not much beyond that, but we'll cover whatever we can. Some good names on the list, though. Some good names. We'll touch base. We uh, Christian Dyer was supposed to be joining us tonight for Dyer needs, but he will not be able to, or it is unlikely, I will say. Um, he's going to try to call in, but he did send me a heads up that there was a good chance he wouldn't be able to call in. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, as well about an edge rusher, or it, not not just an edge rusher, but uh, what what. What can Todd Bowles do? What can Casey Rogers do? I mean, let's face it, ultimately it's Todd Bowles. He's the head coach. He's the defensive guy. He's got the headset, much like Rex. He's, he know, you know, he's hearing every play call that's made. He has the authority to overrule it. So what, what's, what is Todd Bowles going to cook up to get some pressure on the quarterback? What are his options? Um, we're also going to talk about some – there's some free agents. I did a piece just a couple hours ago, posted it on JetNation.com. Um, and check us out on there, JetNation.com. Check out the forums. Great time. Great fans uh, for the most part. Um, can't get enough of it. And especially for those of you outside of the New York area, you know, outside of the local area where maybe you don't get as many Jets fans as you would if you were in NYC or Jersey. So we're going to talk about, again, a few free agents that the Jets could still look to bring in who who could help this team. But uh, – Right off the bat, let's talk about Sam Darnold here and the the two the conflicting sides about, you know, do you play him right away, do you arrest him, uh, you know, or do you, do you let him sit back for a season for, I mean, that can't happen. He can't sit for a season. 
he's got to get on the field this year. Um, but do you rush him? Do you just say, let's let's get him in there, get the bullets flying, let's just get him those snaps under center? You know, you hear people say that any snaps that, that you know, he doesn't get is, is a waste, and I understand that. But whether or not you like what's happened with this team at quarterback over the years and, you know, under Todd Bowles, always going with the vets, you know, benching the kids. Um, he's the head coach, and he's got, you know, may, maybe maybe if Todd Bowles is another Rex Ryan, another guy who just doesn't really care to get all that involved in the offensive side of things, if Jeremy Bates is competent, if Jeremy Bates is good at his job, which we still don't know because, again, he's got a year and a bit of experience as an offensive coordinator, but if he, if Jeremy Bates, and again he is the quarterbacks coach for this team as well, which Todd Bowles said he considered hiring, hiring someone to fill just that role, but he liked Jeremy Bates enough, and he thought he could handle being the play caller and the quarterbacks coach. So now, if you're Jeremy Bates, and you know that was something I'd, I'd written a couple weeks ago. He basically, the day you draft Sam Darnold. Jeremy Bates becomes the most important guy in the building as far as I'm concerned. Because we know having seen Sam Darnold play in college and you know we've we've watched the games, we've heard this we've read the scouting reports. We've heard the experts, we've heard, you know, a report earlier this week, may, yesterday it may have been uh saying that the Browns were the only team in the top 5 that had Baker Mayfield as the the top quarterback in this draft. Um, so that tells you that everyone, you know, whether it was John Elway who has been a disaster at picking quarterbacks, let's be honest, but that means the Jets, uh, John Elway in Denver, uh, and who was it, three? Oh, it's, uh, not three, two, the Giants. So the Giants, Jets were at three. Browns, of course, were one and four, Denver at five. Um, they all had Donald as the top quarterback in this draft. I heard – um, not a huge fan, but I did hear the uh, the always opinionated Colin Cowherd on his show say he spoke to four executives, all four of them, four for four, said that Darnold was the number one guy on their board as well. So it seems like there, there you, you can't deny what he did in college. You can't deny the skill set that's there. There's no reason why this guy shouldn't be a good NFL quarterback. And that's that's, it's on Jeremy Bates now to make it happen, to help this guy transition from a college offense to a pro offense to what will be a faster game. But at the same time, and we've talked about this, if you look at the receivers the Jets brought in, he's going to have plenty of weapons. There's no, he's not going to have that excuse. You know, people made that excuse for Geno Smith, but let's face it, I mean, that well, no, we're not going to talk about Geno Smith. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta bring these guys along, right? And so that's that. That's where the discussion begins. Do you start him from day one? Do you wait till he's ready? Do you, you know, do you wait till the end of the year when maybe you're mathematically out of it, or or sooner if they don't get their act together? But the right answer, and and you hate to say it because it's almost, it's almost with the you know, along the lines of Todd Bowles and his, you know, best chance to win. 
you know, why are you starting Josh McCown when your season is over? Best chance to win. When really the best thing for the team is to play some of the young guys and see what they've got. But really, it, it's, it's not rocket science, and some fans may not want to hear it, but you start Darnold when he's ready. You start him when he's ready. Now, if he's as bright as a lot of people say, if he's got this, I mean, by all, you know, by all accounts, just watching him interact with the media in the early going, watching how he handled himself in college, you get the impression he is a mature, level-headed guy, and he's not going to get he's not going to get shaken by the spotlight. I mean, he played at USC, he played at big-time school, and he played he played great in some big-time games. So, do you want Donald to start right away? Of course you do. I, I I hope he starts week one. But do I want him out there if he's not ready? If the coaches are looking at him in practice and saying this guy's going to need, you know, he's going to need to at least watch a few watch a few games from the sidelines to fine-tune some things, to work on, you know, whatever deficiencies they may find. But I think Todd Bowles hits it on the head when he says we're not going to rush him and we're not going to hold him back. Wait, you're going to do what's right for the guy. And some people disagree with that, and they want to see him now. And what do you do when, you know, when you're making that case? You point to all the guys that have had success that started you know, from day one. Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, guys like that. Well, for every guy who succeeds who starts day one, there's a million guys that fail who start from day one. And this isn't to say I don't want Donald starting in week one, but it's understanding that starting a guy right away doesn't guarantee anything. It's not like that's the magic formula and, oh, my God, why, isn't every, why doesn't every team – you know, we had the discussion – before the Kirk Cousins thing went down, the number of fans that I saw, let's just draft and develop a quarterback, which I said at the time, even wanting Kirk Cousins, that should be the plan if we miss out on Kirk Cousins. But people say it as if it's just that simple. We'll just draft him and develop him. Oh, is it that easy, really? All of a sudden, the team that hasn't had a quarterback in 50 years, this team averages about one – the team – team gets one good year of quarterback play every 10 years. Over the last 30 years, Vinny had a good year, Pennington had a good year, Fitz had a good year. I'd say every 10 years they get one, one quality year of quarterback play. And fans just talk about it like it's, like, it's, like it's that easy. Draft and develop. Just develop them. Well, ideally, yes. That was the plan with a lot of these guys. That was the plan with Mark Sanchez, with Geno Smith, with Kellen Clemens. It's not, that, it's not just that simple. So they have to do right by Sam Darnold and play him when they feel he's ready. And, again, fans may not want to hear it because everybody's impatient. Everybody's microwave society. Got to have what I want. Got to have it right this second. No reason not to. And, again, it's not, it, it's not lost on me the fact that you do want to develop this guy. And, and I, 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 don't, I don't see why. So many people feel it's got to be one way. He's got to start from day one, or no, you can't start him on day one. What the mentality should be is let's let Jeremy Bates, the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, let's let him decide, or let's let him tell Todd Bowles when he feels like Sam Darnold is ready. But the Jets have said Sam Darnold is going to have a shot to compete for this job. 
I fully believe I know we've had some staged quarterback competitions in the past. When John Idzik called it a QB competition between Michael Vick and Geno Smith, and Geno Smith was getting 70% of the snaps in practice. It was ridiculous. Another Idzik disaster. But let's face it. This team, they want, they got to, they, they got to compete at some point. They got to make a push for a playoff spot. If Sam Darnold's not ready, they can't do that. And don't tell me the team can't. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting this team in the Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. But for a team that went five and eleven and lost a bunch of one-score games last year, with a pretty shaky situation at the cornerback positions. And now you've added Tremaine Johnson. You had the worst center in the league in Wesley Johnson. We talked about that a million times. You're replacing him with Spencer Long. That I mean, that alone should, should make this, you know, the, the, the subtraction of Wesley Johnson should make this a, a significantly more efficient offense. Fewer three and outs, ability to do more in terms of play action, should be able to run the ball a little better. With the receiving core, there should be plenty of plenty of room for the quarterback to work with. In terms of you know if he's dropping back, if you're a quarterback and you're scanning the field, and we've talked about this too, with these two outside receivers, with Pryor and Anderson, and their sub four four forties, quarterbacks gonna have a lot of a lot of room because there's gonna be double teams following those guys, at least one of them. You send both those guys deep, that's gonna open things up underneath in a big way. And that's where you're going to see them have opportunities to move the ball. The running game finally has a a power back in Jermaine Crowell. No, I mean, I'm sorry, Isaiah Crowell. Don't get me wrong. You know, this this isn't a situation where I'm saying this is going to be an all-time great offense. But they should be pretty damn good, regardless of who, regardless of who ends up under center, whether it's McCown, whether it's Bridgewater, nobody knows for sure. But the right answer to when you start Sam Darnold is when they say Sam Darnold is ready. And like I said, go ahead and tell me about Carson Wentz. Tell me about Dak Prescott. I got it. But you can name a million quarterbacks who started from day one and they stunk up the joint. Even Maybe they even had a nice start. Browning Nagel, remember him? Remember him in his 366 yards passing in his NFL debut? I don't know if he had 366 yards the rest of his career. Starting from day one doesn't guarantee anything. So I'm not against it, but to insist that that's the only way to do it, I think it's short-sighted, it's impatient, um, and for the number of times it's failed, to just sit there and pretend that it's the, uh, it's the, the, uh, the only way to do it doesn't make any sense. But let's move on now. Let's move on. We, you know, we covered the draft picks over the last couple shows. Dan Hatman joined us last week for, or was yeah, last week Thursday for what was a very good show. Dennis Wazak, Christian Dyer have called in. We've talked about it with them. Uh, but we haven't really taken the time to talk about the undrafted guys. So the unheralded guys, you know, some, some fans don't even want to hear about them. They just don't, you know, they, they don't see the point in it. But, you know, the reality is that a lot of these guys do end up contributing at the pro level. 
And, you know, Robbie Anderson's a perfect example. Wayne Corbett's another really good example. Victor Green's another really good example. I mean, it's rare. That, you know, don't get me wrong. This isn't to say that, uh, you know, four undrafted free agents are going to make this roster and be impact players. But there are some guys who have a chance to make this roster and, and one or two that could make a name for themselves. So let's, let's go over the, the names that have, that have appeared so far. This is from the, uh, the official Jets roster. So first off, and we'll start at the top in terms of the guy who I like, but you know, out of all the undrafted guys, the guy who's got the best shot to make it, and I've seen it, you know, on I did a piece on it. I've seen several other writers uh, write up, do write-ups on him. But uh, Dimitri Flowers, the fullback out of Oklahoma. I'll tell you, as far as I'm concerned, getting that guy as an undrafted free agent was like stealing a draft pick. Because this is a guy who was projected as a fourth or fifth rounder, and rightfully so. And when you look at what he did at Oklahoma, when you look at what he did for that offense, for Baker Mayfield, being a safety valve, being a primary receiver on a lot of plays out of the out of the fullback position, the guy he can catch the ball. And if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're Jeremy Bates, and you're running this West Coast offense, I think you've got to be ex Dimitri Flowers came to you. Because you know as as much of a nice story as Lawrence Thomas was last year, I don't see him bringing the same skill set to the table that Dimitri Flowers brings. Now, Lawrence Thomas is a guy who, if he squares up and hits somebody to block him, he's going to do some serious damage. Dimitri Flowers is a, a good blocker. And, you know, I mean, te- from a technician standpoint, probably better or definitely better than Thomas. Thomas is just a guy who can overpower you if he hits you square. Um, he just didn't do it as often as you'd like to see. But, again, it was, you know, it was year one for him as a fullback. He hadn't played it since his days at Michigan State. Early in, his, early in his college career. So he, he may show some improvement, but just based on the fact that Flowers can do so much out of that spot and be such a dependable receiver, I give him the edge there in that competition. I think he makes the roster. And I think, again, in a West Coast offense where you're going to have a young quarterback and you might have some protection issues up front, all depending on how things go up the middle, um, I think Flowers has an opportunity to make the team, to start, and to have a pretty big impact, um, you know, in terms of what you might expect from a fullback in, you know, today's NFL, where they, they've just become dinosaurs and a lot of teams, you know, you just don't see them used the way they have been in the past. But that doesn't change the fact that this is a guy who's going to be, I believe, it's going to be, like I said, it's going to be like stealing a draft pick, which is great because, you know, having six picks this year, you kind of felt like they had a hit and, and – the undrafted guys are all such long shots, but I look at Dimitri Flowers and I don't, I don't see a long shot at all. I see a guy who's going to make the roster and he's going to contribute. And you know these second and short, third and short situations where you can run a little bit of play action and then let him sort of leak leak out to the flat out of the fullback position, create, create some mismatches, going against maybe some middle linebackers. I like it. I like it a lot. I think Flowers has the opportunity to. to to make a name for himself early on. Um, next on the list, we're going to go with another guy who, again, has an opportunity to make this roster and to make some plays. And it is a little bit weird how it unfolded. 
Um, we're talking about Frankie Luvu uh, from Washington State, outside linebacker, edge guy. He, uh, we saw a tweet from him or the day after the draft or late on the draft night, I forget now, saying, you know, looking forward to going to play for the Jets. And, uh, and then he wasn't, he wasn't listed on the team's roster for the minicamp, which there were, I want to say, 45 players there. forget the exact number. But uh, he was nowhere to be found. Didn't see his name mentioned by a single reporter covering camp. So I thought maybe it fell through. And you see that sometimes with these undrafted guys. Um, there, you know, reports surface that a guy's going here, he's going there. Until he's in, you know, until he shows up at the building, don't always believe it. There were actually one or two this year that were reportedly going to the Jets um, as undrafted free agents, and they ended up going elsewhere. So that's, you know, it, it, it's something that I expected may have happened or thought may have happened with Luvu, but it did not. He is he has signed. He's on the 90-man roster, not a tryout player. He's he's a signed undrafted free agent. And this guy's a guy who didn't put up huge numbers in college his first couple of years, didn't really play a whole lot. Um, played three games his first season, six games his follow, the following season. But then in 2016, played in 12 games, had 46 tackles, uh, seven for loss, only one and a half sacks. And then last year kind of turned it up a notch, 13 games, 48 tackles, 12 for loss, and six and a half sacks, a couple interceptions, and just a guy who, he, you know, typical of a, of a guy who looks like a solid pass rusher in college and doesn't get drafted. He's uh, definitely an effort guy, high motor, but as his scouting report says, and as you see when you watch him, he doesn't sort of have those, those he's not one of those long-limbed guys who can reach out and, you know, reach out and touch someone from a few feet away and pull down a quarterback without having to be right there. Um, you know, that, that's one of the things he's lacking. But he really does bring something to the table that the Jets don't have a lot of, and that's as a potential edge rusher. And it's something they've been lacking for some time. We talk about it quite a bit. And will he be Will he be the answer? It's It's highly unlikely because guys like that, if you're going to be an impact edge rusher in the NFL – you rarely go undrafted. You're normally going in the first couple of rounds. But if, even even if it has a situational pass rusher and he can, he can pick you up five or six sacks off the bench, I think the Jets would be thrilled with that because they need somebody that can, they can get into the rotation who can have an impact. And if you're getting, you're getting the quarterback that much, there's a good chance you're, you're applying a good amount of pressure even when you're not getting there. You know, you may not be a double-digit sack guy, but if you're just getting to the quarterback, getting him off the spot, making him get rid of the ball early, that's the type of stuff that doesn't show up in the box score. But teams, you know, coaches love that. And so then moving to the next, this is this is what I'm talking about when I say some guys that it's you know it's tough to get any any either whether it's game film or just strict highlight reel, whatever it may be, um, it's tough to get on some of these guys. But Dakota Shepley. And we talked about him briefly with uh, Christian Dyer a couple weeks ago. So here's a guy who gets a three-year rookie deal out of the University of British Columbia a couple days after the NFL draft. He was the fifth overall pick in the CFL 
the CFL draft. So can't really find much on him. Let's 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 face it. He played in a, uh, a Canadian college guy, but he did you know he impressed enough that the Jets signed him with three to a three year rookie deal, and then he ends up going fifth in their draft up there, which obviously not the same talent level, but clearly a, a highly thought of player. And let's face it, they they've got to have not just depth for this season. But they've got to be ready to move on from James Carpenter next year. Is Shepley that guy? We'll find out. But I think that uh, I think it's a good move to to bring in some some young depth guys. Even you know even if they don't make the roster, does Shepley make the roster? How the hell could I sit here and pretend to have? I mean, I can guess on Luvu. I can I can guess on Flowers because you can watch a little bit. You can see what they bring. Um, you can get a general idea. Shepley, look, I can look at a picture and read some scouting reports. There's no point even in even trying that. I mean, all you can say is that the fact they gave him a three-year deal makes you think they like him a little bit or they like him a lot. So maybe that gives him an edge. But in terms of what he brings, impossible to say. You can't at this point. Anyone who tells you they can is, you better live in Canada or I'm not buying it for a second. Next on the list, even after even after grabbing a couple D linemen in the draft, as we as we well know, the Jets bring in another D lineman as an undrafted free agent, three hundred twenty five pound Mike Thomas from Texas Tech. And I'll tell you what this dude what I was able to find on him, a couple games, some interviews, read some scouting reports, um, and the scouting reports matched what showed up on film. Just big space eater. Uh comes in at three twenty five. Only six one, but six one, three twenty five. Really big guy. Um, did a nice job of collapsing the pocket a little bit, but in all reality against smaller competition, that's probably something you're not gonna see him do a lot of in the NFL. Um, can he make this roster? I mean, who knows? There's I, I don't see I see him as more of a guy who may be a, a practice squad player. Maybe he takes that spot that Deion Simon had last year on the practice squad, something like that. But when you've drafted the, the D lineman, you've drafted, you know, you took Fadikasi, he's probably going to play on the inside. You signed Mike Pennell, he's going to play on the he's going to be your nose. Is there room for another 325-pound lineman on this roster? D lineman, you know, run-stuffing D lineman, I just don't see it. Um, but I could see him definitely as a uh, – a practice squad guy, and you know, I'd like to see more of Monacy. I haven't seen a ton of him. I just, I just don't see it. Just as a numbers game, like I said, how many teams carry three guys, three four guys who are, who, who run a three four defense, which is a you know a key there. I mean, even though let's face it, we say it, we talked about how the, the you know teams are in their nickel and dime packages now more than they're in their base defense, but even still. I don't see them carrying three run-stuffing defensive tackles. Now, if he, if, if he shows the ability to collapse the pocket a little, and uh, and it's not just a small school thing, if he's able to make that adjustment and, and, and do some of that in the NFL, then he's got a shot. But even, again, even if he doesn't make the roster, I would see him as a guy who could be a practice, who could sneak onto the practice squad. That brings us to the uh, next-to-last player, um, Actually, they did sign a kicker. We'll cover the kicker. Uh, uh, 
Taylor Bertier, no idea. He kicked the Texas A&M. He's spent a little. He's, he's actually been in the league for a year, so he's not an undrafted rookie. Um, but his name just popped into my head because they signed him the other day. Let's let's not sit here and pretend that we've seen this guy kick a whole lot, unless you're, you know, a Texas A&M fan. And uh, three kickers at the moment, which is a little bit weird. Even you know you wouldn't even, you kind of expect two at camp, but either way, camp battle will play out. Trying to think, because they cut it. No, sorry, they cut a punter recently. I was going to say they cut a kicker the other day. They cut a punter, uh, Turk. But as it stands right now, Nick Rose, Cairo Santos, and uh, and Bertolay, Taylor Bertolay, Texas A&M. So enough on him. That, sorry, that just crept in there as I was looking at the roster as a recent signee. So last one on our list, and uh, really not much to say because, again, small school guy, not much production. As we said, undrafted, can't find a profile on him. Um, Anthony Wint, linebacker out of Florida International, six foot two twenty four. He's a smallish guy. One thing worth mentioning though, uh Manish Mehta, New York Daily News Jets beat writer, did say that he thought Wint was possibly the most impressive of the rookies in camp this past week. And uh and you know, the fact that he stood out and then he gets he is one of the uh five or six undrafted guys that they ended up signing. Pretty impressive for him. Again, FIU, not exactly a powerhouse. Um you know, had one or two sacks in college, more of a more of a big tackle guy. Uh believe he plays on the inside. But again, almost impossible to confirm a whole lot more than height, weight and a and a few, you know, your, your tackle stats. For a guy who went to FIU, um, I'm going to take a look later, see if I can find some games, uh, some FIU games online. But uh, when I looked earlier, there wasn't a whole lot there. But I was a little bit rushed for time, so I will take another look and see what uh, see what we come away with. So that that covers that, folks. That's that's the uh, the undrafted class in a nutshell. A little bit of offense, a little bit of defense. Oh, one guy. Sorry, one guy I didn't mention was uh, Austin Golson. Auburn played up and down their line. Um, from what I, you know, I pulled up a couple of Auburn games and watched them. Eh, looks like an all right player. Um, went undrafted for a reason. Not overly athletic. Uh, physical guy, you know. But uh, I just, I'd be surprised if he makes the roster. There's, there's not a great deal of depth on this roster. But I'd be surprised if Austin Golson cracked it. But who the hell knows, right? I mean, we're all just guessing at this point. We watch a couple games, see if a guy jumps out. Uh, excuse me, pardon me there. So we'll see what happens with him. That covers all the undrafted free agents. And, again, Flowers and Lubu, if you ask me, they're, they're my two picks to make the roster. And um, knowing nothing about Shepley other than he's Canadian, Oh, and also quite like sumo wrestling. There's a little trivia for you. But uh, Dakota Shepley got a three-year deal. Tells you a little bit of something. So we'll see how that works out for him. But now, switching gears. And uh, and not, not, not fully switching gears. Because we did talk about with Luvu 
and the need, the the you know, the decade long need for a pass rusher on the outside, you know, somebody just gets to the quarterback already. Um, they've got to find a way to do it without that elite guy, because you can't you can't just keep sitting back and saying. We don't have the guy to get to the quarterback. We don't have the guy to get to the quarterback. At some point, especially with Todd Bowles being the defensive guy, he's got to come up with a plan to get to the quarterback. And I think the most, I think the most viable, and you know, possibly something I wouldn't rule out would be. And I may have talked about this last week, but thinking about it even more and looking at the roster and knowing that, you know. You bring in a guy, you know, you go into free agency and you bring in Kevin Minter, inside linebacker who played well for Todd Bowles in Arizona uh, on the inside. If you, if you move him to the inside on passing downs and just kick Darren Lee out to the edge, Darren Lee, undersized guy as well. But listen, he's going to be slightly undersized no matter where you put him. If you're going to have him on the field, why not put him in a position to make some plays and get to the quarterback? So... Darren Lee to the edge in passing situations, to me, would be the 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 most likely plan you could come up with in terms of the, the likelihood of it succeeding. You could also, you know, as much time as Jamal Adams spent in the box last year, if you're going to do that again this year and have him up front that often, let's blitz him a little bit more, use his athleticism. His, you know, we said it before, he plays like his hair is on fire. Let him take that that aggressiveness, that aggression, and and that athletic ability, and let him try to get to the quarterback. Darren Lee, Jamal Adams, we talked about Bass. You know, they brought him back. David Bass, linebacker, use him a little bit more. There's there's a few different options here. To Todd Bowles and Todd Bowles. I mean, this is definitely more of a make or break year for Todd Bowles than it is for Mike McAgan. And if you're Todd Bowles and you've had this job for a few years now and you still can't find a way to get to the quarterback, I mean, the Jets couldn't get to the quarterback when they had a motivated Mo Wilk, um, a motivated Sheldon Richardson, dominant Damon Harrison. I mean, they got to the quarterback a little. But for that level of talent, I mean, they, they, I, I still remember that home opener a couple of years ago when they sacked Andy Dalton six, seven times. And you thought, okay, that's – now you knew you weren't going to get seven sacks every week. But you thought every week is going to be a nightmare for opposing quarterbacks. And it really wasn't. They kind of fizzled out after that game, maybe one or two others along the way where they, where they showed up. But as a unit, Todd Bowles couldn't find a way to get, you know, a defensive line that consisted of three or four, let's face it, elite talents. When Mo Wilkerson was still trying to get some money, he was elite. All right? Was it, remember, he was a... Uh, voted like the 50th best player in the NFL by his peers. Sheldon Richardson early on was elite. Damon Harrison from the day he became a starter was elite. You have that type of firepower up front, and, and you still couldn't figure out how to get to the quarterback. And that's, you know, for a guy who's got this reputation. So it's on him to figure it out, whether it's Lee, whether it's Adams, whether it's Bass, whether it's just bringing more pressure, more blitzes, Maybe use your corners. You know, you you got a you got a, a rookie corner now who runs a four three two. Let's see him off the edge every now and then, because some you know people may forget that Buster Screen 
Buster Screen was used as a blitzer quite a bit off the edge in his first year with the Jets, and it worked fairly well. But we haven't seen as much of that, or it doesn't feel like we've seen as much of that um, since year one under Todd Bowles. So maybe you get back to that. But you've got to do something. You can't just sit back and, and just keep waiting for someone to, to, to draft or sign a, an elite edge rusher. They, they've got to find a way to get to the quarterback. So, again, that's on Todd Bowles and his staff. And it's because, again, these guys don't hit free agency. When, when do elite pass rushers hit free agency? It's, just, it's, it's not even a possibility. However, that doesn't mean there aren't some players in free agency and actually edge rusher who could help this team right now. And uh, look at a few names earlier of guys that are still out there. And one that jumped out at me, he's 30 years old, you know, he's not, he's not going to be around for a long time, but maybe you get him on a one- or two-year deal, is uh, Junior Gillette, who's played for the Redskins and Saints. He's 30 years old, but he's still a free agent. Some character concerns there. That does give me some pause, I'm not going to lie. But when you look at the fact that this team isn't really – you know, publicly they're saying they're concerned about character, but as it was pointed out during the draft process, pre-draft process, they brought in um, a couple prospects. Well, it's one prospect. I, for, I forget the name, wide receiver Miami. name escapes me at the moment. With uh, major, major character concerns, brought him in. Uh, they signed Crowell, who, as, as we've talked about on the show, um, is a guy who – had to well didn't have to but was apparently strongly advised to donate a bunch of money to the police department in Cleveland because he you know posted an image of a police officer being murdered on his website um, I'm sorry on his Twitter it was a cartoon but it was clearly an image glorifying uh, or the depiction of and glorifying the murder of police officers which even take police officers out of, out of the equation just people I don't you know it, you know uh, condoning the murder of anyone. Um, is uh, is a little bit, I, I would say it's a character flaw. But that's something that, you know, he, pay, he paid the cops some money. The cops, you know, first they were outraged. We're not going to work Browns games. They said, well, here's some money. And they went, all right, cool. It's not so bad after all. So they moved on from it. Everyone else has moved on from it. The Jets were obviously willing to look past it. But, again, just the fact that it, there's the part of me, you know, you look at what's going on with Robbie and Dylan Donahue right now. Both made boneheaded mistakes. The team is sticking with them, which I appreciate um, because you want them to sort of have that, the, that compassionate side, like these are people. But at the same time, you wonder if this would be the same deal if they were less impactful players. And not that Dylan Donnie has had a huge impact, but I think the organization does like him. And, uh, and you know, he only played, what, 20-some snaps last year. So clearly the jury's still very much out on him. But uh, in Gillette, Gillette and Gillette, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'm going to say Gillette. But uh, he's a guy who – he only had a couple sacks last year. Two. No, I think he had three. But he wasn't really used as a starter. Um, but during 15 and 16, he had 12 sacks and 10 sacks. So 22 sacks in 28 games. That's a pretty damn good ratio. And that's far better than anything the Jets have had in a very long time. So he's still sitting out there as a free agent at 30 years old. But, again, maybe the uh, he was arrested for getting into a fight at a festival or – some very similar to Robbie Anderson situation. So that could scare them off, but he is still a good player who could help this team 
Um, the other guy who uh, who jumped out at me, and this is actually a, a fairly new one. He's not been on the market very long, just uh, released in the, in the last 48 hours, uh, Colby Fleener. Fleener's a guy who signed a huge deal, huge deal, with the, with the New Orleans Saints. I believe it was $28 million, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, but for whatever reason, it's a weird thing when you are an offensive player and you go play with Drew Brees and your production dips. Um, you don't see that every day. That's just that's almost unheard of. But that is what happened. But despite only having, <coughs> excuse me, despite only having a couple hundred yards receiving this year because some injuries, some concussion issues, um, if you look at his production over the previous four years, Fleener, he's a big guy, six six. The previous four years, he averaged over 600 yards and six touchdowns a year. That's not that's not bad. That's an upgrade at tight end for the Jets. Matter of fact, a few years ago, 2014 was his best pro season. 51 grabs, 774 yards. It's 15 yards of reception. That's not bad at all. Eight touchdowns. So he's a guy who's proven he can play in this league. Uh, and the Saints, let's face it, I don't know that it's necessarily an issue with the production, because granted it wasn't there, but in terms of salary cap space, the Saints are one of the worst off teams in the NFL. They're they're near the bottom, from from my understanding. Matter of fact, taking a look right now on OverTheCap.com, if you're ever looking for any salary info, that is the site to go to. And yeah, so the Saints are sitting at about $3 million in cap space right now, so they are strapped for cash. So Fleener had to be let go, that saves him some money. But he's a guy that could help the Jets. And, and you know, let's face it, this team, when you look at the overhaul they've had at tight end, they actually have some, we'll say, some 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 high-ceiling guys. You know, whether it's the draft picks. Um, last year, of course, Jordan Leggett coming out of Clemson. And then Chris Herndon this year. So that gives you a couple of young tight ends. Bucky Hodges came in, but let's face it, He's, you know, he got cut by a couple teams last year. Not all that optimistic. Neil Sterling, very interesting guy, converted wide receiver, but I think he's going to have a tough time because it's getting crowded in that tight end room. Eric Tomlinson, I think he's a lock to make the roster. A lot of people seem to think he'll be gone, but I think some folks get a little bit too obsessed with the uh, with receiving numbers and don't realize the value that he brings. And Clive Walford, Clive Walford's a good player, but he to me is the guy who whose rosters, I would give Fleener his roster spot. Um, either him or Sterling, because I don't know that either one of those two will make it. You bring in Kobe Fleener for one of those spots, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, and he can make this roster, and he can make it a lot better. So definitely something the Jets should explore. And the last name I wanted to bring up as a, a potential free agent still on the market, and the Jets, for those of you wondering, are sitting at about $20 million in cap space, $20, $21 million, and actually at 21 per over the cap. So they do have some money, even if, you know, of course they do need some money for these last few free agents. That'll take up a big chunk of that, and you want to have some money. You want to be $5, 6000000 million under the cap going into the season, so you have some room to work with. So really, in all reality, on paper they have $21 million in cap space. In reality, they're probably closer to 8 or $9. Um, but in having over, you know, projected to have over $100 million next year, there's no reason they couldn't, you know, if they wanted to get a free agent 
and actually it's the, the one I was going to mention next, uh, Bashar Breeland, a corner, and he's he's got a he's got an interesting situation going on. Um, some of you who didn't hear or only heard part of the story might be saying, "What are you talking about, man? That guy signed as soon as free agency started." Um, well, he did, but then he didn't. Because what happened was Bashar Breeland got a deal that was going to pay him $8.5 million a year to play in Carolina. And he, he claims made the Panthers aware of the fact that he had a, an injury, um, a, a cut to his foot that was going to require a skin graft um, that he claims the team was told about. And when he showed up for his physical and they saw it, they failed him. So he failed his physical. He goes back to free agency. And he is a very good corner, uh, played opposite Josh Norman in Washington the last couple of years and more than held his own. And he's only 26 years old. So when you get the opportunity and, you know, people say, oh, but you know, they already signed Johnson and they brought back Claiborne and they have some young guys they're working with. Listen, you can never have enough good young corners. People beat that drum all the time, and it's so damn true. You can never have enough corners, especially when one of them is Morris Claiborne. And you know there is a very good chance he will miss time with injury. Um, but Bashar Breeland, if you could get that guy at this point, this close to the season starting, I'm sorry, not season's not that close, but with free agency being done, that at least you know in a you know the, the first several waves. Now it's just kind of picking up guys here and there who are who are waiting for the phone to ring. If you can bring in Bashar Breeland and get him under contract. That would be an absolute. I mean, that would be a huge, huge boost for this roster, for this team. Because again, they 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 do need a little more depth there, established depth, I should say. Because yeah, there there are corners on the roster, but how many of them? I mean, really, how many how many people have a ton of faith in Justin Burris, who I'm a big fan of. You know, I've said it from the day he was drafted. If you listen to this show. You know, you've heard me say his name a million times. I'm not going to rag on the guy. Um, but he had a lot of potential. But honestly, at this point, I'd I'd be surprised if he uh, if he's anything more than a backup. And I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he doesn't make the roster. And then you have Claiborne, of course, who we mentioned. You have Jeremy Jeremy Clark, total unknown. Spent most of last year on IR, um, and will or the non non football injury list, and he will. Possibly, he may see some work at safety. Um, we don't know what the Jets' plans are for him. Xavier Coleman is a guy that I was very high on. Talked about him a few weeks ago as a possible surprise player who could come in, you know, and a guy who could have an impact as a slot corner. Now, I think that's slightly less likely now with um, Perry Nickerson on board at a two-lane. But Todd Bowles did say Nickerson would play outside some as well. So if they envision him being able to do that, then maybe that gives Coleman new life. Of course, we talked about Tremaine Johnson, Derek Jones. Developmental guy, you know, you, you look at the 40 time, the, the, you know, the 42-inch vertical, you can't help but hope the guy makes the roster. You know, you want those those guys who can do things that few people can do, which he can, but whether or not one of those things is play corner, the NFL remains to be seen. Of course, Darrell Roberts has his moments, up and down kind of guy. Richard Robinson, anybody, you know, have I said it? How many names have I said that would make you say, oh, we can't bring in Bashar Breeland because of that guy? Just about every guy on this roster or a corner outside of Tremaine Johnson, I would take Bashar Breeland over. And that includes Morris Claiborne. Because, again, you have the durability issues with him. 
So if I could have Tremaine Johnson and pair him with Bashad Breeland moving forward, because as I said, Breeland's young, 26 years old. So you're talking about a 26-year-old corner who you could add to your roster. And there's some speculation that Breeland hasn't been signed because he doesn't want to sign. He wants to wait till he's healthy. Now, I don't understand that logic because he already tried to sign once, um, and that just didn't go well. If the team was willing to take a gamble on him, I would, I would love for that team to be the Jets, and they put themselves in a really, really good position to compete. You know, the, the secondary, we've talked about how good it has the potential to be. You know, with the young safety, Johnson, Johnson on one side, Claiborne on the other. And I think, I think I speak for a lot of Jets fans when, you know, when I say that I really hope that at some point this season, even if not training camp, I hope somebody steals that number two job from Morris Claiborne. Because he, he, Claiborne's not bad, but how long do you want to have a guy in your roster who gets hurt every single year? You know, even last year he played, but he wasn't the same player down the stretch that he was in the first half or the first three quarters of the season. Completely different player. And, it was an, again, it was an injury. Um, consistently seeing injuries with him. So when you want a younger, more durable guy to be, you know, to be in there to, uh, that you can count on on a week-to-week basis, I think that's, uh, that's something you have to look at. And, you know, what's, what's the old saying? Can't make the club if you're in the tub, right? Well, chances are Claiborne will make the club. But uh, if and when he does, we know that he's going to spend a, a good amount of time in the tub at some point during the year. You just hope that, uh, that it's not too early if they don't have somebody coming in behind him. But that's why Breland makes sense to me. I'm not, this isn't, that this isn't to, to say that any of these things will happen, but, uh, but there are some players out there who could still really make this team better. And, and folks, Des Bryant is not one of them. Don't, don't. I saw somebody say today that if the Jets were to sign Des Bryant, he's automatically the best. He becomes the number one receiver on this team. Now, I don't know, I don't know what year that person is living in, but Des Bryant, over the, pre, over the course of the past couple of years, has been a shell of his former self. I mean, he had some catches last year. Let's see, 69 to be exact. Actually, yeah, a few more than I thought, actually. But this guy is, he's had some significant injuries. He's going to be 30 years old, going to be coming from an offense where he was able to be as as productive as he was because of the fact that he came, you know, they had such a strong old line in Dallas. And although I, I will say, to be fair to Dez, we did see their their line take a step back, and that their running game really sputtered this year. Didn't it wasn't what it had been the year before, but uh, even that year, um, seven ninety six, seven hundred ninety six yards, eight touchdowns. So not terrible. Like it's not terrible production, but there's a reason why, as a thirty year old guy who's battled injuries, there's a reason why he's He's been released, and he's still he's still out there. Des Bryant, there were people say, "Oh, he's he's, he's going to get scooped up right away. Somebody's going to sign him. Somebody's going to sign him." How many teams have even had him in for a visit? Is it are, are people 
still sort of just in love with the name and, and the player, you know, when he was a thousand yard guy for what, three, four, five years in a row, three years in a row, putting up double digit touchdowns. He's not that guy anymore. His numbers last year were comparable to Robbie Anderson. The Jets already have Robbie Anderson. And the Jets added Terrell Pryor. There's no need to bring in a big ego who's on the decline and a guy like Des Bryant. That just that, that wouldn't make any sense for what this team is trying to put together. So if if you're telling me the Jets need to go after Des Bryant, I would seriously question the the logic there. Don't don't need him. It is it, the farthest thing. It's one of the few position groups on this team that doesn't need a significant upgrade or or at least you know quality depth. It's already there. They put some good pieces together this off season, and that's what we'll that's what we'll do. We'll take these last few minutes to talk about that. Not about not just what the Jets have done. What what needs to happen between now and the season? between now and opening day to set this team up for, to surprise some people. What has to happen? I think this team more than any other, it's, it's not every day you say this, but and I, I, I hate to keep beating this drum because I've talked about it so much during the season and still during the off season because it is still an issue. Um, they have to do something about – there has to be a contingency plan at left guard. If you want to carry James Carpenter into the season to be your left guard because you think he'll do well in this new offense, that's, that's fine. That's great. It, you know, history tells us that's a bad idea, but stranger things have happened. He's a, as I've said before, high-character guy who has played very well at times. So you want to give him another shot? Absolutely. Go for it. But – if you go into the season, you find yourself in week two, three, four, five, and he's the same guy he was last year. You've got to have a backup plan. There's got to be there's got to be somebody you can plug in. You can't go to battle with him every week, potentially getting your quarterback killed. And now that's where, possibly, is that where Dakota Shepley comes in? Again, a guy they clearly liked. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Ben Braden, is he? I mean, is he, he spent a year on the practice squad last year working with him. He, you know, he's a guy who may not even be on this roster. We nobody knows how he looked. But what what is the backup plan there? What's the contingency plan? Because if the plan is just to let Sam Donald run for his life all year, or from what from whatever point he comes he becomes the quarterback, he's going to be getting chased down consistently. If if James Carpenter struggles in his own scheme the way he did last year. And that was something I talked about recently in an article that I would I would hope I would hope that this team would realize that having having the players they have, Brian Winters, James Carpenter, maybe dial it back on implementing the zone scheme, the zone heavy scheme. You know, every team runs a little bit of something. You want to, you want to run some zone, that's fine. But let's let's not see a sixty or seventy percent zone blocking scheme, because you're then setting James Carpenter up for failure, and you're you're putting your quarterback's life at risk. And let's face it, uh, we've got to see we've got to see a hopefully healthy and improved Brian Winters, because if Brian Winters isn't better than he was last year, 
and Carpenter isn't better than he was, then this team isn't going to do a thing because teams are just going to attack them up the middle all day long. And they were hopeless, helpless against it last year, and there's no reason to believe it would be any different this year. So it's got to be, you know, Winters gets a little benefit of the doubt with the injury, but they've got to find a way to upgrade Carpenter if, in fact, he struggles the way he did last year. It's 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 got to be at the top of their list of priorities. And honestly, to me, one of the more surprising things is, free agency that they didn't they didn't bring in well at least no known guys you know as we said Shepley you know what what's going to happen there remains to be seen tight end we talked about it but they got to they've got to sort that out they've got somebody has to emerge as a legitimate receiving threat i think it will happen i don't have any doubt about that given the, the, the talent level on this team. But this has to happen in order for, you know, in order to make life easier on on the quarter. You know, I was going to say Sam Donald, but let's face it. But, I mean, we can't discount the possibility, even though I think if Teddy Bridgewater plays well, I think he gets traded. I think he's a trade chip, and I like that decision. But, you know what? Let's Let's say Teddy comes in and doesn't just play well. Let's say he lights it up. Let's say he wins that job from Josh McCown. And and week one and two, or you know, week one through three or four, say he plays great. Say he's not turning the ball over. Then what? And then what's the plan at quarterback? You're gonna you're gonna bench you're gonna bench a guy who's winning football games for you, who's in his early twenties, and is showing he can play. That's going to, you know, it'll delay Darnold a little bit. But I don't think you can rule out the possibility of that happening with Teddy Bridgewater. And, I mean, I, maybe the Jets, maybe, maybe they don't care how well he plays. Maybe the idea is to is to move him for a pick. But because people have said, oh, well, if he plays well, you just keep him as a number two. He's on a one-year deal. If he plays well, he's getting a big contract in the offseason. So there is no, you keep him as a backup you're not going to pay him a huge contract to be a backup. But even still, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater under center, whether it's Josh McCown under center, whether it's Sam Darnold under center, they, they've got to have a guy, a reliable safety valve, and ideally you'd have that be a big tight end who can just sit down in the middle of the field and be a great big target when the quarterback's under pressure, maybe win some one-on-one matchups, you know, even just – you know, if it's a guy, you know, like if you bring in a Fleener, guy who's six six, or you know, even even Tomlinson, Tomlinson is six six. Someone's got to emerge, and they, they can be a, a, a an asset and and a, a weapon for your young quarterback to develop a rapport with. Because ideally, if uh, if things are going well, they're going to be going well for a few years. So that's got to be addressed. They've got to come up with a contingency plan for that O-line. They've got to identify a tight end. Someone's got to step up there and become a, a legitimate option for a young quarterback. And I'm not even going to beat to death again the, the need for a pass rusher. We all know it. We all know it exists. But now it's up to Todd Bowles and his coaching staff to come up with a way to maximize the talent the Jets have on the roster at that position. Don't forget Lorenzo Malden. 
No one knows where he's at at this point. We do know that the last time he was healthy, he was in and out of the lineup. Todd Bowles seemed to have him in his doghouse for a while before coming around and putting him back in there. So there were some struggles for him. And there's still not a legit guy. There's still not a legit edge rusher. So Todd Bowles has some work to do in that department. The O-line coaches, the, sorry, the offensive staff, they're going to have some, uh, they're going to have their work cut out for them in terms of getting that unit playing as a cohesive unit up front. Because I'll tell you what, if they can, if they can find a way to keep the quarterback upright, I think this team can surprise a lot of people. Again, five wins last year with a garbage O-line. Now you've upgraded the O-line. You've upgraded the receiver position. You've upgraded your secondary. May and Adams are going to be a year better, ideally. There's no reason the team can't can't make a push for a playoff spot. Sometimes you see a nine-win team sneak into the playoffs. Maybe that happens. Maybe they win ten. I'm not, I'm not putting it past them. I think you'd be foolish to do that. I said that a couple, I said that Todd Bowles' first season, when he came in here and everybody said, you can't expect this team to do anything. You can't expect this is a five-win team, a six-win team. And I said, no way. You know, some look, some years were right, some years were wrong. You know, pretty, I forget what my – actually, what did I say? I, I forget what my win total was last year. I think I said three to four. So I missed on that one. They, hit, they won five. But a couple years ago with Bowles, with Bowles year one, I said, this is, a, this is a 10-win team. And I look at this roster now, the way things are shaking out, and I see a similar type, you know, 8-8 eight and eight wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and I'm, I think this team is, is sort of, with good guard play, this is a 10-win team. That's the way I see it. So how it plays out in time, we will find out. But as of right now, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you all very much for tuning in. And uh, join us again next week. We are going to have a special guest on joining us, Calvin Watkins from Newsday. We've managed to get him on board. He's a very busy man, but he will be on the show. And we look forward to you tuning in then. Have a great night, Jet Nation. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.